Stamps.com. Postage on demand. Print your own postage and shipping labels in seconds. Click instantly buy and calculate exact postage. Print, print postage, label, envelope, or plain paper. Mail a fix of postage. Mail anywhere in the world. Give Stamps.com a try. Get $5 of free postage. Check offer details on Stamps.com. Corporate postage solutions have more than one. Have more than two locations. The Stamps.com Enterprise is a postage solution for you. Offer shipping solutions. Process and print for shipping labels. Fast and enjoy shipping discounts and more. Stamps.com versus postage news. The choice is clear. Stamps.com offers more features at a fraction of the cost. Approved license vendor of USPS. Save big with discounted rates from USPS and UPS. Stamps.com is an independent vendor of the USPS and UPS. Here's how it works. Open Stamps.com account. Simplify. Simply click to click the get started button to sign up for a stamp. <coughs> Stamps.com and get access to all the services at the post office right from your computer 24-7. You can get discounts you can't get at the post office. Try it out with $5 free postage. Stamps.com will give you four weeks to see if you to see if they are right for you. Stamps.com is so confident you'll like them. They'll also throw in $5 free postage to use during the four weeks. Don't pay unless you stay. Cancel your account online or call 1-855-608-2670 to cancel within the four week trial period and pay no service fee. The monthly fee is just $17.99 plus optical taxes, if any, including the first month. Your service will continue uninterrupted as long as you do not cancel. Your 24-7 post office. Send invoices, letters, packages, print official USPS postage, domestic or international. No more guesswork. How much postage? What, what mail costs? Stamps.com will figure it out for you. Eliminate trips to the post office. Anything you can do at the post office, you can get. You can do right from your desk 24-7. Do more than a postage meter for less. Avoid hidden fees and equipment insurance. And there's no extra hardware to buy or lease. Never pay full price for stamps again. Great postage is good. You, do, you can't even get at the post office. Customer support. Always ready to help. Available by phone, email, or chat. Monday for Friday 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. PST. Not just for small office mailing, multi-location solutions, shipping solutions, warehouse solutions. Tyler was delighted with the role as first lady. We decorated the White House as well as her own. 
court of ladies and waiting to mimic the practices of the European monarchy that she had visited years before. She also established a dish of plenty of kale to achieve when the president arrived at an event and she popularized the wealth of public dancers in the United States. Tyler was a fierce advocate for her political priorities, organizing social events to lobby congressmen, particularly for Texas and Santa Clayton. She's credited with revitalizing the position of First Lady both socially and politically after several enacted First Ladies before her. Leaving the White House, Tyler moved to the Sherwood Forest Plantation of Virginia with her husband and had seven children. She became a prominent supporter of slavery in the United States, writing an influential pamphlet in the theory that defended the practice. During the American Civil War, she provided support to the Confederate States of America, creating a permanent life with her family in New York. After the war, she was involved in a legal dispute regarding her mother's estate with her brother, who had been a loyal unionist. Tyler returned to Washington in the 1870s as her reputation recovered, assisting First Lady Julia Grant at the White House and lobbying Congress to provide a pension for First Lady. She spent her final years in Richmond, Virginia, where she lived in Florida with little money. She died in July 10, 1889, in the same hotel where her husband had died 27 years before. Julia Gardner Tyler was born on May 4, 1820, on New York's Gardner Island, one of the largest privately owned islands in the United States. She was the daughter of David Gardner, a landowner and New York State Senator, 1824 to 1828, and Juliana McLaughlin Gardner. Her ancestor was Dutch, Scottish, and English, and she was the third of four children. The Gardners were a wealthy and influential family, and she was taught to value social class and advantages and advantageous marriages. She was raised in the town of East Hampton in the small hamlet of Bayshore. She was educated at home until she was 16 years old, and she then attended the Jaggeray Institute in New York, where she studied music, French literature, ancient history, arithmetic, and composition. Young woman Gardner was a budding socialite, also following fashion trends and courting potential suitors. She was introduced in service with a friend to New York at the age of 15. In 1839, she shot polite uh, society by appearing in the newspaper advertising for a middle class public service with an unidentified man and identified as the Rose of Long Island. Her family took her to Europe, possibly to avoid further publicity. And Nicknamed Worlds of Long Island, became permanent social regard. Her first left for London, arriving in October 1840, to visit England, France, Italy, Switzerland, Germany, Holland, Belgium, Ireland, and Scotland before returning to New York in September 1841. While in France, she was presented to the French court, adding to a list of suitors. After returning from Europe, her gardeners spent time in Washington, D.C. Courtship and Woody. Courtship with President Tyler. In Washington, Gardner and her sister Margaret would accumulate so many suits that an extra room had to be rented to entertain them. She would continue to make visits to Washington over the following year. She received marriage proposals from several prominent figures, including two congressmen and a Supreme Court justice. She would also receive such proposals from President John Tyler.
She first met Tyler on January 20, 1842, when she was 21 years old. Being introduced to him at a White House reception and gardener's request, the family spent more time in Washington. Returning in 1843, President Tyler invited Gardner to a private game of cards on February 7, 1843, after which he played for She is to around the table after the death of his first wife with Tisha Christian Tyler. Tyler made it clear that he wished to be the mentor of Oliver Gardner. Initially, the high-spirited and independent-minded Northern beauty felt little attraction to the grave. Virginia Jensen, who was 30 years her senior. Though the gardeners and Tyler's would grow close. The increased time that the gardeners and the gardener and Presbyterian spent together fronted public speculation about their relationship. Tyler first proposed to her at a White House masquerade ball on February 22, 1843, when she was 22 years old. She refused that and later and later proposals he made, though they reached a standard by the following month that they would someday be wed. On February 1844, Gardner, her sister Margaret, and her father joined the president's excursion on this new steam frigate. Instant. During this explosion, her father, David Gardner, along with others, lost his life in the explosion of a huge naval gun called the Peacemaker. Gardner was said to have fainted after learning of her father's death, and the father tried to carry her off of the ship. Gardner was devastated by the death of her father. She spoke often in later years of how Fred's quiet strength had sustained her during this difficult time. Tyler accompanied Gardner in a grief and wrote her consent to a secret engagement proposing in 1844 at the George Washington Ball. While she grieved for her father, even Gardner acknowledged that the president had become a surrogate father. Wedding of Julie Gardner and John Tyler Because of the circumstances surrounding her father's death, the marriage took place with a minimum of celebration. June 26, 1844, the president slipped into New York City where the nuptials were performed by Benjamin Treadwell on their dock at the church of the Ascension, not too far from the gardener's residence on the Grand Terrace. President Taylor was 54 years old while Gardner was 24. Taylor's oldest daughter, Mary, was five years older than her father's new wife, and marriage made Gardner the first lady to carry a president who was already in office at the time. Her sister Margaret and brother Alexander were prize made and best man, only the present son John Tyler III represented the Grimm's family. Tyler was so concerned about maintaining its dignity that he did not provide his plans to the rest of his children. The news was, was then broken to the American people who greeted it with keen interest, much publicity, and some person about the couple's 30 year age, 30 year difference in age. Some, such as Representative and former President John Quincy Adams, mocked the president for marrying a young bride so soon after meeting her. Julia Tyler's new stepchildren were dismayed by the marriage, especially as some of them were older than her, and that it was so soon after their mother's death. Her stepdaughters, in particular, were distrustful, so she was ultimately accepted by all of them, with the exception of Letitia Semple. After her marriage, Tyler determined that she would give up she would give up being a New Yorker and identify instead as a Virginian like her husband. 
first lady of the United States. As the wife of President Julia Chavez served as first lady of the United States for the final eight months of her presidency after her wedding trip to Philadelphia, a White House reception, and a stay at Sherwood Forest, and the state the president was taken required by an assignment. The newly newlyweds returned to Washington, D.C. Tyler was enthralled by the crowds that followed them and the public interest in their secret way. After marrying at the White House, Tyler sought to make the president presidential home more extravagant. She had the building clean, the furniture replaced, and staff uniforms updated. A access to the guard, the federal reporter, followed her to remake the White House more than otherwise been possible. She also purchased many elaborate dresses at personal expense, becoming a part of influence and fashion. Extravagance was muted, however, by her period of mourning for, for her father. Although her husband was often visibly fatigued, his useful wife thoroughly enjoyed the duties of the First Lady. Tyler did not have strong political views of her own, but rather she adopted and defended those of her husband. She would encourage her husband to pursue whatever policies she desired, and she would even flatter members of the Senate to win their support. Political considerations were always factored into social events, and Tyler used her influence to exert power in her own right. In particular, she lobbied for the annexation of Texas, and she, as she believed it would benefit her husband's legacy. Her open expression of political opinion diverged from previous first ladies who generally expressed little interest in politics. After the president signed off on the integration of Texas as one of his final official acts, Tyler began wearing a candy used around her neck. Her lobbying on the Texas issue was credited as a major factor in its success. Her support for the annexation of Texas became publicly known to the point where she was identified with the topic, and it was the subject of the first political cartoon tie a first lady to a political issue. Tyler's sister Margaret was a sister in the duties while visiting Washington, serving as a social secretary. Tyler became a point of contact for those wishing to receive favors from the president and the Gardner family in particular regularly to report with the support from the first lady. Among her favorite quotes were those for pardon and commutation by the president and with Tyler's interjection that spirit gave the from the death sentence in New York, Tyler was then up often the Tyler was often the subject of human interest stories, particularly those by Washington correspondent F. W. Thomas of the New York Herald. Thomas's coverage of her was consistently positive and he bestowed upon her the nickname Lady Presidentress, and with which she was happily she would be properly identified. First lady, Tyler wished to emulate customs of European courts. She had her own court form from her sisters, her cousins, and her daughter-in-law to serve as ladies, serve as her ladies in waiting, and she would invite ladies of prominent families to join her at events and receiving lines. She also kept an Italian greyhound that come to her, which the president had an order for her from Naples. Her sense of strategies was also noted when she drove four horses and when she Yes, in an armchair that was slightly elevated. To bring an element of grandiose to the president, she began the tradition of a presidential anthem, having hailed to the chief, being uh, played to announce the entry of the president. Tyler would break social norms for dancing in public, which was considered scandalous at the time. 
Hello for the folk that helped popularize the dance in the United States. She also used the wall to wind up the dance despite the present freedom of position to dance. Several Julia Walters were written in her honor and saw wide success. The title was generally popular as the study. Her love of drinking and dancing earned her the ire of religious citizens and amid, amid missed the second great awakening in the last month of her husband's administration. Tyler hosted a grand White House ball for a few thousand guests where she danced with several important guests. Post presidency. Motherhood at Sherwood Forest Plantation. After leaving the White House, Tyler retired to a Sherwood Forest Plantation where they would live until the Civil War. Although a mother, a northerner by birth, Mrs. Tyler soon grew accustomed to the legally routines of daily life as the wife of the wealthy plantation owner. The Tyler had seven children together after leaving the White House. David Gardner, Tyler in 
1982, Tyler moved to Richmond, Virginia. Toward the end of her life, she suffered from malaria. She made her final visit to Washington in 1987. She met with First Lady Frances Cleveland, to whom she would sometimes provide advice. Tyler suffered a stroke in Richmond and died there at the Exchange Hotel on July 10, 1889, age 69. Her husband had died of a stroke 27 years earlier in the same hotel. She was buried next to him in Hollywood Cemetery in Richmond. She had lived the longest post-White House life of any First Lady, living another 44 years after leaving the White House. She would hold this record until it was overtaken by Francis Cleveland. Her funeral was held in Richmond at St. Peter's Cathedral on July 12, 1899. 1889. It was attended by Governor Fitzhugh Lee and Mayor James Taylor Ellison with the absolution performed by Bishop Augustine Van der Waal. Like I said, the papers of the Tyler family do regard the Tyler are held by the Special Collections Research Center at the College of William and Mary. Many of the papers have not been incorporated in the historical analysis of the Tyler as of 2016. Tyler's son Ryan, like his father, married his second wife late in life. As a result, Julie Tyler had two grandsons that survived into the 21st century. One died in September 2020. Harry, well, Harrison Ruffin Tyler was still alive as of that day. Tyler was generally well received during her time as first lady, and she is credited with stirring the Washington social world after the death of her husband's first wife. She also provided a level of extravagance to the presidency, she, but she did little to change or expand the substance of the role of first lady. Instead, she strongly affected the role in the very incorporating legal elements she had recognized as one of the most successful hostesses in the history of the White House, and she was one of the earliest first ladies to be directly active in politics. Her promise in Washington has prompted greater historic interest in her life compared to the less active presidential wife that immediately preceded her. Divided by historians. Since 1982, Sandy College Research Institute has periodically conducted surveys asking historians to assess American workplace according to a human store on the independent criteria of their backgrounds, i.e. to the country, intelligence, courage, confidence, integrity, leadership, being their own woman, women, public image, and value to the president. Consistent Tyler has been ranked in the lower half of the first ladies historians in these surveys in terms of cumulative assessment. Tyler has been ranked. 27-42-1982-27-37-1993-26-38-2003-28-38-2008-27-39-2014-2014-Survey-Tyler-Anner-Hudson-Rebrighton-34th-out-of-39th-1st-couple-in-terms-of-being-a-powerful-couple. This is the